Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series in the book of Genesis, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People, with a message entitled, Things That Lead to Faith. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 to 31, verse 16, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. The Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel, commenting on the book of Job and the sufferings of Job, wrote the following line, which I think is brilliantly insightful. He said, faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it is the result of having been shaken. I've been thinking about those words because they do speak of two different kinds of faith. One kind of faith is the faith that is shaken by setbacks and disappointments and sufferings. You know the person. After certain experiences, you know, they hardly have faith at all. And the other kind of faith, it's a faith that's been molded by the fires of setbacks and disappointments and suffering. You know, the first is a kind of faith that's fragile. The second is a faith that's altogether enduring, the very kind of faith that prevents us from becoming fragile. So what is it in some in which no matter what they go through, their faith only endures and deepens? That's what I want to answer today. What are the things that lead to faith? I mean, enduring faith. As we carry on in our study of the life of Jacob, we come to Jacob who has been working for his father-in-law now for 14 years. He has two wives. He has another two concubines, which are lesser wives. He has 12 children, 11 sons, one daughter. He's still not a man of faith. In fact, he's anything but that. And in the next six years, something will happen that will begin to create faith, something that Abraham Heschel calls the faith that cannot be shaken, because it is the result of having been shaken. I'm reading Genesis 30, verses 25 to 36. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go for you know the service I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. That day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he said, A distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Now, before we jump right into this text, you're going to have to notice a little bit of information that you didn't know about Laban. His religious practices include what is called divination. And divination is an occult practice that includes everything from astrology 
to studying the entrails of animals, to consulting the spirits of the dead, to judging the actions of birds in flight, to reading signs or omens using various methods. And furthermore, I want you to notice how Joshua later would describe the religion of that family. I'm reading here Joshua 24, verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Now, Terah was Laban's great-grandfather, and paganism, with magic and the occult, was his form of religion, and he had passed that religion to his family, with the exception of his son Abraham. You know, in this religion, one would try to manage and manipulate the gods to do as one wanted. And Laban, we're told, was not wealthy when Jacob arrived. And during these last 14 years, he's become wealthy, and he wants to know why. So through the use of occult arts, he comes to the conclusion that all his wealth, which he attributes to his gods, have now come through the agency of Jacob. Now, I know that raises a question. How can Laban learn the truth using occultic practices? But those of you who are biblically astute are going to remember the events of Jonah. There are pagan sailors who cast lots, which they assume are controlled by their gods, and they discover that Jonah is responsible for the storm. Or you might remember the story of Christ's birth, in which pagan astrologers see a sign in the heavens that lead them to believe that a remarkable king has been born. Now, I say all of that only to point out that God can overrule the fruit of forbidden practices, and he can reveal himself, and no magic can overshadow that. God remains God. He controls all things. So Laban approaches Jacob, and he wants to find out how he can get Jacob to stay. I mean, after all, if he stays, Laban's going to become even more wealthy. That's Laban's reason for wanting Jacob. But why would Jacob want to stay? And the answer is, Jacob has nothing. He's got four wives. He's got 12 children. He's got no money. He's stuck. And as we're going to see, Laban knows it, and he uses it to his advantage. I wonder if you've ever gone to buy a car, and the salesperson, rather than telling you what the car costs, he's going to ask you, what are you willing to pay for this car? I don't know about you. I just hate that. I hate it when a salesman says that. But that's exactly what Laban does here. He, he says to Jacob, you name your wage. And Jacob does just what Laban hoped he might do. He puts out an offer that would make Laban feel he's hit the jackpot. You know, in ancient times, a shepherd would work for some kind of commission. He would get a percentage of the sheep that he took care of, up to about 10% if he's a good shepherd. But Jacob offers a completely different deal. He will take spotted and speckled sheep, and which I understand in the ancient Near Eastern world, such flocks were actually quite rare. So he makes an offer on the low side, and, and Laban can't believe his good fortune. He quickly takes the deal. And if you notice, from verses 35 to 36, he sends his son out into the flock, and they remove any speckled flock immediately, and he sends them three days away so that there's absolutely no possibility of crossbreeding. So he cheats him right out of the gate. Now, from Jacob's perspective, he's got no other options. He knows Laban is a cheat, and if he made a 10% deal with him, he would be fighting about what constitutes 10%. Only this kind of a deal even gives him a chance. Now, we're talking about the things that lead to faith and how God constructs genuine faith through setbacks and disappointment and suffering. 
And what I want us to do is to reflect on the fact that this is how God creates faith in us. So first of all, like Jacob, challenges are often more difficult than we had expected. You know, I, for more reasons that I can enunciate, from having embarked upon marriage to having children to having entered the ministry, I'm so glad I had no idea about the challenges that lay ahead of me. Had I known the challenges that I would face, I don't think I'd embarked on anything. And Jacob, well, he went to Laban's house and he thought he would get a wife and be back shortly. But in fact, he spends 20 years there, 14 working for the two wives and another six for wages. He had no idea what was waiting for him when he got to Haran, and that's what it is with us. Think about whatever difficulties you're facing and put it into context. Now, the key word, I think, is the word stuck. For Jacob, being stuck meant that he had a large family. He's broke. He's got no one else to work for but this scoundrel and this thief. Some of you right now feel that you're stuck at your workplace. You immediately identify with this. And the real challenge is not that you're stuck, but the challenge is to begin to understand your situation through the lens of faith. Know what God is doing. Sometimes the only solutions we know are going to involve some risk. And they did for Jacob. If he worked for 10%, he would have worked for Laban forever. But if he works for speckled and spotted sheep, and as we're going to see, he's got a very wacky plan, he will either succeed in a big way or he's going to fail in a big way. Now, just to remind you, I'm talking about things that lead to faith. And I'm going to say that faith is often forged in those places where all that's familiar and secure is kicked out from underneath us. You know, when mother eagles want to teach their young how to fly, they'll often put spikes and thorns into their nests so that the younger are no longer comfortable where they are. God does that. When he wants to build faith in us, he puts setbacks in our road, disappointments and suffering. You know, these things either drive us to God or away from him. All of these things are going to have a great impact on Jacob. In the middle of being stuck, he will find that God is blessing him. Sarah wrote, Dr. Newfeld brings scripture to life with depth, practicality, challenge, and hope. The world has changed. Technology has made everything closer. Ministries have changed, and yet Back to the Bible has remained constant in its values and teaching and has embraced technology, all while making sure the gospel is not diluted. You do a marvelous work, and I look forward to hearing you every day. You know, messages like this help us feel like we're hitting the mark. And with God's blessing, people of every age and background are being impacted through faithful Bible teaching. Our special thanks to all those who listen and support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Your encouragement and commitment mean so much. You can join us in this effort with your financial support by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or by visiting backtothebible.ca. Jacob has made a deal with his father-in-law that every striped and spotted sheep belong to him, the rest to Laban. So let's continue to read verses 37 to 43. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposed the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. 
And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now, before we get into the details, let's understand that for the next six years, something remarkable is about to happen. No one had ever seen such a thing in that region of the world. Large, vast flocks of striped and spotted sheep. In fact, they're so large that in six years, Jacob becomes a very rich man. That's what's happened. But I know what you're asking. You know, you're saying in no way does putting peeled branches in water troughs as animals are mating determine the kind of offspring these animals will bear. Whether the offspring are plain white or plain black or spotted in some way has everything in the world to do with genetics and not with hocus-pocus and weird branches in the water. What true? But that's precisely the point. We've already seen that Laban's worldview, that he believed that reading animal livers and worshiping pagan gods and looking for signs as birds fly by, And furthermore, if you've listened to this series, you also heard me say that Jacob had a worldview in which he believed that there were holy places or portals to the gods that existed on the earth. See, both Jacob and Laban are men of their times. Their worldview was filled with occult and superstition and various forms of magic and manipulation of the gods. So it seems only natural that when Jacob finds himself in a, in a horrible bind, that he, he resorted to the things that he already knew. He resorted to magic. I know that you and I living today are going to look at that and say, well, that's just all ridiculous. Ah, but you say, how did it work? Ah, but did it? See, I remember the first year that I was in university. I had a class in logic. And the very first thing that we learned was that just because two events coincide with each other, well, that doesn't mean that one causes the other. Same is true here. Clearly, God is at work helping Jacob, providing him a way out of his unbearable situation. God is in some way involved in making a large herd of striped sheep something no one had ever seen before. And if you allow me to cheat here just a bit, I'm going to go ahead to verses 10 to 14. It reads, In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angels of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see, all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. That's the solution. While Jacob was thinking about magic, God was showing him the proper methods of selective breeding. Ah, yes, some folks are a bit dense, but God's still merciful. But that brings about a crisis. Laban's sons, who are counting on their dad's wealth for their future, are angry with Jacob, and the relationship in the family sours, and we're seeing a looming crisis. Jacob's wealth will not go unchallenged. Now, we've been talking about the things that lead to faith, a faith that's not shaken by disappointments or setbacks and suffering. 
So let's see what we learn. Did you know that challenges often come with accompanying grace? God provides a way forward where we, if you know, if allowed to our own devices, would be spinning in our wheels for a lifetime. God is gracious. Now, you have to have eyes to see this. I sometimes meet people who tell me that all the things in their lives that have always gone wrong, and they are ignorant of all of God's grace along the way, God's kindness. And it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? If all you want to see is trouble, that's what you're going to see. But if you have the eyes to see it, you might see all the places where God has sustained you and treated you with kindness. But let's get back to Jacob. And here, amazingly, we see he's starting to get it. I'm reading Genesis 31, verses 1 to 3. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Ah, this next crisis is clearly God's design crisis because it's time now for Jacob to go home and face his father and his brother. And more importantly, it's time for him to face his God at the waters of the Jabbok River. And if Jacob were listening hard, he would hear God say what God had said to him before, I will be with you. Well, in truth, God has been with him through all these crises that he's gone through. Each one was designed by God, and it was designed to maximize the good that would come to Jacob and to his family and ultimately would come to the world. That's the wonderful thing about God. Hardships are designed by him to bring about faith, and that's what would happen in the life of Jacob. So to verses 4 to 7. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. He said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. (laughs) That's just music to our ears. He says, I wasn't beat up or killed, says Jacob, because God didn't allow it to happen. Ah, he notices the grace of God. So let's stop here. And I want you to notice how rancorous the relationship with Laban actually was. The first agreement is that any sheep that wasn't pure black or pure white would be counted as Jacob's. But as time went on, Laban said, you only get spotted sheep, not striped sheep. And then you only get striped sheep. Well, you can see the deal is constantly changing. And as it changes, God just keeps blessing Jacob. Now to verses 13 to 16. God says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Here's what I find fascinating. You know, first of all, after six years of selectively breeding animals, God comes to Jacob and says, I'm telling you to go home. And then Jacob does something completely uncharacteristic. He, for the first time ever, takes leadership in his family. It's so amazing because for the last years, He's been anything but that. 
He's been a stud for his wives. He's had no faith. He's had no leadership. He's had no sense of divine destiny. He's simply been a man who has had a bad life, a disappointing life. He's been a man who has seen only a cold, unforgiving landscape. But somewhere God has aroused him and has opened his eyes. And in all of his troubles, he finds God has never left him. And then out of the blue, Jacob calls his wives and tells them two breathtaking things. Number one, God has spoken to him. And God has said it's time to leave, to go to the land of promise. And two, all the successes they have encountered were not because of Jacob's abilities. He says it was never the branches in the water. It was the selective breeding that God showed me. And it wasn't even that. It was God's mercy on me, on all of us. Don't you see it, he says, all these hard and difficult years, God has been blessing us, and I didn't see it, but I do see it now. And the response is immediate. For the first time, Jacob's family are willing to follow his lead. Whatever God has told you to do, they tell him, we're ready to follow your spiritual leadership. Here's what we know from this account. If Jacob had not been humbled and humiliated, he would never have become a man of faith. Abraham Heschel was right. There is a faith that exists because the man of faith has been shaken. And in the case of Jacob, his shaking is going to bring him to a full faith. And for all of us who have come to know Christ, listen to the words of 1 Peter 1 verse 6. It says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Take hope. John, let me ask you, why is it sometimes that our difficulties go on and on and on? And they do, and they do. It has to be said that way, that God still loves us and is still working in our lives and has a purpose for us. I think I can say, that with Paul, these momentary light afflictions are earning for us an eternal weight in glory. So recognize that in the light of eternity, these moments that we struggle are going to feel like moments. However, today they feel like something very, very different. So uh, I think we're gonna want to take hope because the end of the day, God still has his plan and he's working it out for our good and his glory. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada, and I want to share with you an important message. In the past couple of weeks, a group of individuals have come together in a unique way to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Together, they've raised pledges of $125,000 toward a ministry match campaign. That simply means for every dollar our supporters and listeners donate over the next few weeks, a matching dollar will be given by this group up to $125,000. We're so grateful for such generosity those who have made this match pledge, and to those who will respond so we might maximize its impact through the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Could I ask you to take the opportunity today so that the entire pledge of $125,000 might be completely realized, totaling $250,000. 
Your gift of 25, 50, 100 or more will make this possible. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca.